Today's reading comes from Romans 8, 17 to 30. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we, are, that we will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the will of the one who will subject it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to the decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We will know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already? Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and that the, he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and that though he predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Susan. Uh, we're going to conclude our series on uh, the, through the lens of the cross. And I forgot to say, actually, it's an important day for me and my family um, because yeah, Barney will be baptized after, so please do stay after the service at 11 a.m. I'm 11 a.m. Brady and Barney will be baptized. But uh, let's uh, pray that God will speak to us uh, through these words. Lord, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you that he is alive and he is risen. And we thank you that he is God who speaks. And Lord, we, would, would you show us who you are? Would you help us to see you a bit more clearly? through this text, that we might be, be a people of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So text is Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 30, and it's found on page 916 of the Church Bibles. A Jewish rabbi, Hugo Grin, first heard the story of the trial in Nazi concentration camp, and they've been retelling this story. A group of learned Jews decided to put God on trial for neglecting the, the, his people. Witnesses were produced uh, for both uh, prosecution and defense um, in the Nazi concentration of Buchenwald. And uh, the prosecution presented their case, and the defense pre presented their case, and the judge rabbis, in the end, concluded that God was guilty. 
It's understandable, isn't it? They were, the, 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 it seemed that the case was overwhelming. They were removed from their homes, transported like cattle, marched into intense labor, forced into medical experiments, and when they grew weak, they were led into gas chambers and they died. All the while, his people prayed for help, for God to act in history, to do something, and God seemed silent. Does God not care that his people suffer? If he does, why doesn't he do anything about it? And some of you are going through it today. As we end this series through the lens of the cross, we're going to take a look at what the cross and the resurrection has to say about our suffering, about evil in this world. Why didn't God stop the Nazis? Why didn't he punish those evildoers? But Buchenwald is just one example. People get away with all sorts of evil in this world. C.S. Lewis in his book, Problem of Pain, says he estimates about 95% of all human suffering come from other people, people doing bad things to others. We suffer because of other people's sins, bad bosses, abusive customers, lying employees, people getting cheated, yelled at, uh, swindled. There are also bigger and, and systematic uh, sins in this world, like racism and, and extreme inequality. If God cares, why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't God punish those people who are doing evil? And as you've seen in the past two weeks, I hope you'll see that the cross gives us an answer to these questions, life's most pressing questions. And here's no exception. God cares, and he has shown it once and for all, most clearly on the cross. God cares, and God takes evil seriously, and we know that because of the cross, because the cross shows that God will punish evil evildoers, evil people in this world, that it, people cannot get away with doing these things. How do we know? God sent his son to die for us on the cross. It's a foreshadowing of the judgment that will come. It tells us that God takes evil seriously. We don't think of it that way because we've all sinned. I've caused suffering to my Mary, my parents, to many of my friends. And I need to be punished. But instead of punishing each one of us, God sent his son in his love to take our place on the cross. You see, the cross is place of love only because it's also place of justice, place of God's wrath and anger. This is why he also promises. It's important that we know that he promises that he'll come back to judge the world, that all those who refuse to let Jesus pay for their sins will pay for it themselves. You see, God cares about suffering and injustice. He has shown it on the cross, and he will come back to judge the whole world. No one will ultimately get away with doing evil. Well, you might say, well, that's all good and well uh, for the perpetrators to be punished in the future. But what about now? What about the victims now? What about the suffering that we experience today? Well, look, cross comforts us today as well by showing us that he knows about our suffering, that he cares for us too. I don't know about you, but one of the biggest problems that I have with suffering is the feeling that I'm alone when I suffer, that no one knows what's going on. No one knows what we're going through. We're afraid also that God doesn't know. In fact, God sits on his throne, heavenly throne, removed from this world after all. Would it surprise you? to think that actually suffering 
has been part of a Trinitarian God from, the, from eternity. The second, because the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, entered into this world and he suffered. He knows thirst. He knows hunger. He knows betrayal. He knows greed and fear and loneliness, abandonment, anger. The devil tempted him in the, in the desert. He was tempted on the Mount of Olives until, until his sweat turned into blood. He's a high priest who knows what we're going through, who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way. Many of you know that before Barney, we had three miscarriages. Each one was tough, and we found it hard to listen to people trying to comfort us. But I knew that God knows what it means to lose a son, a son whom he loved more than I could love anyone. And when we suffer... We do need a God who knows what it means to suffer. We need, we look for God who knows what we're going through, and that's who we have in Jesus Christ. God knows, and he's shown us because of the cross. But most amazingly, the cross shows us that God does and can and does work even through all those evil things, even through all the sufferings to bring about good through them all. Let me be clear. Evil is evil, even if it brings good results. I'm not saying that these things are good. Uh, It doesn't become good, even if it produces good. But God uses even the will of the evil people, even the evil acts to somehow bring about God's purpose, God's good purpose. And we, when we went through the story of Joseph, you saw it, right? When his brothers finally came and to apologize, Joseph said to his brothers, Do not fear, for, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What we saw in the story of Joseph is magnified even more in the story of the cross, in the story of Good Friday. God uses evilness of Judas. The evilness of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the crowd. He uses the cowardice of Pontius Pilate and all the people around him to bring about the supreme good. Supreme good of Jesus' death that gives salvation and life to all those who come to him. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I hope you believe this as you go through suffering, that God is not against you. As Niels has been saying, God is for you, and we know that because of the cross. He is for you. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God whom he cares for. We know that because of the cross, because he took our place on it, on the cross. And so as we come to Romans chapter 8, we can read that most famous verse, verses um, in confidence, in full assurance. Romans eight twenty-eight to 29. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He uses all things for the good of those who love him, to make us more like Jesus Christ. A friend of mine shared something deeply personal in this uh, podcast that I listened to. Um, it's a podcast by friends. So he talked about his struggles uh, the, of the lowest moment of his life when he was, uh, he was uh, uh, diagnosed with, uh, with acute uh, depression. 
He talked about uh, how it was a time when his best friend was diagnosed with uh, something and had only six months to live. His romantic relationship had went belly up, and he felt that he needed to leave the church, and he felt that that was his last chance to get married. His mother had died not too long ago through stomach cancer. There was a problem, a visa. He applied for this job, got it, but the visa didn't come through, and he was left stranded. And he said, I genuinely wondered whether I died and went to hell, truly. My hairs at the back of my neck stand up, even if I think about it for a second. But then later on, he also said this, what was also going on in God's goodness? Of course, it's hard to see it that way, but it is, it, that is what it, what it was. It was the experience of being robbed of all my Jesus substitutes. How can someone learn to lean on Christ until all the crutches are taken away? I know that if my loving father had a better way of doing it, he would have done it. He looks back at the time and he sees growth. He sees a time when he learned the goodness of Jesus Christ, that his grace was sufficient for him alone. You see, God uses all things to make all of us like Jesus Christ. That sin that you're struggling with, sometimes God doesn't take that away because sometimes God uses a sin to make you a humble person. He gives you humility through it all. He doesn't get rid of your illness, but sometimes turns it into your dependency on him. He, uses my co- he used my cousin's death, his suicide, to make me a person who can sympathize and empathize with people who are going through troubles. You see, he uses all these evils to, and turns them into courage and love and patience, humility, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God uses all things for the good of those who love him. I know many of you would like to suffer less. Let me paraphrase C.S. Lewis in that book, Problem of Pain. If we only ask God to remove the suffering from us, we're not asking for more love. We're asking for less. If we ask God to love us, God will change us, and sometimes that means God will bring suffering into our lives. And Paul tells us that because of the hope that we have, we actually suffer differently. We can suffer differently from the rest of the world. Verse 24, he says, we are saved for this hope. And with this hope, we do suffer differently. Apostle Paul seemed to suffer an inordinate amount, right? He, he went to prisons. He was flogged. He was stoned. He uh, was uh, beaten with rod three times, he says, three times, shipwrecked and spent night and day on the sea. Hunger and thirst followed him. Man. Has been, he says he's been cold and naked everywhere he's gone. What would you think? if you suffered that much in your life? Wouldn't you think, why is God punishing me? What, what have I done wrong? Job's friend told him that. But Paul doesn't think that even for a moment. He doesn't. Paul wrote, you see, he knew, that he knew the fact of the cross. He knew that Jesus died for him, that God is for him. Christ had taken away his punishment. If anything, he says he can boast in his weakness, weaknesses and suffering, because it reveals the sufficiency of God's power and grace. He's convinced that God is working through them all to bring about a good. And not only that, Paul wrote that his suffering actually confirms his apostleship, that he is a Christian. 
This is because he knows the pattern of the Christian life, that Good Friday comes and then Easter comes. The suffering first and glory later in our reading, verse 17, he says just that. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. In fact, Paul then picked up the cross willingly and suffered much of this willingly by giving things up. He left his home, gave up his comfort became a missionary who, uh, who wanted to share the gospel of Christ in the far-flung corners of the world. He went on those ships and to those cities risking death and risking those flogging and stoning on all those things because he wanted to suffer for Christ, for people to hear the gospel of Christ. Suffering now, glory later. Because of the cross and the resurrection, he lived fully and freely as a Christian even if it meant suffering. Christians do not avoid death at all costs. We're of people who say that the gospel is greater than our lives. Christians do not cling to every comfort and advantage and privileges. We're those who freely give them up if it means someone else could hear the goodness of Jesus Christ. Many of you do that. Many of you do that every week. Throughout, the, throughout your life, you've give up, given up what you've earned, what you worked hard for for the sake of the gospel. Many of you give up your time and energy because you know that the pattern of the kingdom is suffering now, but glory later. Good Friday is, has come, but the Easter is coming. For this hope, we have been saved. And we become a people who are not even afraid of death. Paul wrote famously to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Do not grieve like those who have no hope. Jesus has resurrected Death certainly is evil, and we should be sad when our friends and loved ones die. But death has lost its sting, hasn't it? So much so, we can say to live is Christ, to die is gain. But it's not just death. Suffering itself, I hope, has lost its sting. Whether it's a loss of job, a diagnosis of cancer, death of loved ones, or a bout of depression, whatever it is, we should be able to say, God is working through them all to make me more like Jesus Christ. He's producing gems in my life. And even if all else fails, I have Christ. I have Christ who is the source of my eternal joy. That's my friend Barry did when he went through that depression. That's what Willa Willa did when she was diagnosed with cancer and went through all those surgeries. That's what countless Christians have been doing through all sorts of difficulties because as we read in verse 18, our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ comes. But... On this Easter day, I want to say, but if we just had the cross, we might not be saying any of this. After all, no disciples were present on the, at the cross because they were all afraid. They ran away. 
And that might have been the end of Christianity. But the cross wasn't the end. Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to the disciples and asked Thomas to, to, to put his finger on his side. He talked and ate fish with his disciples in Galilee. He, he appeared to over 500 people before he ascended into heaven. And all this had been something that Jesus foretold. Each time he predicted his death, he also predicted his resurrection. Nobody paid attention to the prediction of resurrection. They all knew that he was going to die. But when he rose again from the dead, the disciples changed. changed. The church changed. The history has changed. The rallying cry of the early church was not, Jesus had forgiven your sins. Although that was essential. That is essential part of the gospel. But the punchline in the Peter's first sermon is this, Jesus, whom you crucified, is risen again. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Acts chapter 132, his resurrection vindicated Jesus. All that he said was true, that he is the Son of God, that he did come to die for our sins, that he is God and Lord. Easter was a moment then also um, not just a moment that vindicated Christ, but it also was the beginning. It's the beginning of the new creation when death no longer reigns over this world. As Paul put it in verse 22 of our reading, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, it's not just us that suffer. It's the whole world that suffers. We see it in landfills and coral reefs and rising temperature. It's all around us. And the creation, the creation will change in a flash. And God's glory, God will flood the universe with himself so that the, the whole creation will sing God's praise, will be able to sing, see God's glory in all of creation. And Jesus' resurrection hints at that coming. But of course, it's not just the creation. Paul says in verse 23 that we suffer. We are groaning inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are like um, a wind-up clock, right? You wind it up and you know that at the end it will run out. We're all prone to sickness and, and aging, even more than the physical weakness. Christians know the constant struggle of our moral weakness, of the sinfulness of our hearts. That's why we groan as we fight, uh, when we fight against our sins, whether you're 10 or 90. But friends, Jesus was raised from the dead. He defeated death, and he received new body. He received a new body, and we too will receive new bodies when Jesus comes back. Bodies that are freed from weakness. Weakness effects from sin and death. Uh, freed from sinfulness of the heart, freed from suffering. And remember, Jesus had scars on his hands. He, it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't as if these things didn't happen. Suffering in his life didn't happen. But the scars made his body even more glorious. It showed who God was even more clearly because of the scars. And it will be the same for us. All the suffering and evil that we face, all the suffering and evil that the world faces, we will be all the more glorious 
because we have gone through them. We will have gone through them. The world itself will be even more glorious because it has gone through them. We will shine with Christ's humility and love and courage, patience, kindness, and love and all those things because we went through them. And we know that because Jesus died on Good Friday. But even that death is called, even on that, even that day is called Good Friday. God made it good. And Christ rose again. And he is here, reigning now. And as Paul writes in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him graciously, give us all things? He will give us all things because he's alive and because he's coming back. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that on this Easter day, we can see your scars, but we can also see your glory and how, glor- how, how much more glorious you are because of it. And help us now to be people of hope. And for those of us who don't yet know you, we pray that they'll come and explore to see what the scar is about, why you had to die. They might also share in this hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.